Hey, this is John, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Sing together, read God's word, hear God's word. Uh, but there is a reason why we stand. Like, a, like we just don't just do it just because tradition says to do it. So uh, behind me are the two reasons. Uh, why, first, why we read God's word together before the message and why we stand together. And so I was gonna read it because this is, this is exactly what it is, the heart behind why we do what we do. And so when we read God's word together as a community, as we open his word and, and read it together, um, it's, because, uh, it's because we want his word to sink into our hearts. Like we just want it to be, just washing over us. And so it's, it's in the songs that we sing. It's in the scripture that we read. It's, it's the focus of our message. Like we, we just want God's word to be sinking into our hearts. And just the longer we're exposed to it, uh, the more it grips our hearts. And so why do we stand? Well, we don't just stand just to stand, but we stand for the reading of God's word because we believe God, the God of the universe, the God of all creation, the God of the cosmos is speaking directly to us. So it is not something that we just passively uh, look at, but we say, wow, God is actually speaking to us. And so normally uh, when we finish the reading of God's word, what you'll find is, we go to the next slide. Whoever's reading, it will finish the text by saying, this is the word of the Lord. And then only a couple of people seem to know this, but it's okay because just this is part of tradition sometimes, but uh, the community is meant to respond with thanks be to God. And we do that because God has spoken to us and it is meant to transform us and it is his gift to us. And so when you receive a gift, what do you say? Thank you. And so we'll practice this today. I'm gonna read our text. You're gonna read it with me. I'm gonna say, this is the word of the Lord. And you're all gonna say, thanks be to God. And I hope that you can do this every week. And so tonight we will be in James chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have some on the back right of you guys, um, just for you. If not, we also have it on the screen, but I encourage you uh, to read it with your text, with your own Bible, whatever you have. James chapter two, verses one through 13. My brothers, Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? And they are, uh, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the, law, the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. 
And if you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Awesome, you can have a seat. Uh, Do we have any... um, Older siblings, eldest siblings in the room? Sure, wave of hand, you're the eldest. Um, do we have any uh, favorite children? Like, you know, you were the favorite child in your, okay, cool. All right. Uh, any, any, anybody, anybody who is not the favorite child, perhaps the middle child, just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, in all three categories, we all probably need some therapy. I'm just letting y'all know, just, just putting it out there. Y'all probably could could benefit for a couple therapy sessions. Uh, here's the thing. I, I'm, I am the eldest of three boys. So God bless my mother's heart. Um, I, think, I think they were really hoping for my third brother to be a girl, but they got him. So uh, uh, I'm the eldest of three boys. And, and it's not just like, like me and then a couple years later, like there's almost a decade, I think it's like eight years between me and the second brother and then nine. So they were a year apart. So like this is, this is a big difference, right? And so like I, I like got to see how different my brothers got raised versus how I got raised, right? And like, because sometimes you can, you can see there's a difference, but you're too young to like think it's unfair. No, no, I was old enough and I was like, nah, listen, if I said what you said, you know what I'm saying? You can finish it. Like, like, like that just wouldn't fly in the house. But, but my brother, Joshua, he just got away with a lot. And then he's in the room, so he can, he can attest to it. And then so my youngest brother, the youngest one, Jonathan, he didn't really care. He was fine. He just, he just wanted to play. He was like, he's like a golden retriever. He's like, let's just have fun, you know? And, and so he's cute and fine and, and, and dandy. Uh, but, but it dawned on me. I was like, this is not fair. Like, 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 I can't, like, I would have never gone away with what, what, what he did. And, and, you know, what parents would say, right? Like, no, we, we love you all the same. Just, just, it's just, he needs a different kind of love. And I was like, what? A different kind of love? Like, like you mean less love? Because I, I feel like, you, you, like if you're saying that you hitting me with the, with the belt was love, then, then, you know, you don't really love them. You know what I'm saying? Like, you love me a lot and you didn't really love them at all. Uh, but but to, to, my, to my parents' defense and to my brother's defense, my brother is, is kind of wild. Like, like, like me, I was a wimp. So when I got hit, like I was like, and I started crying. I was like, all right, I'll never do this again. My brother, when he got hit with the bell, he was like, okay. And like, is that all you got? Right, it's like, that's all you got? And, and so like my, my brother's kind of a thug like that. He was just like, yo. So, so I'd be like, dang. You're kind of gangster though, like that. Like, like, okay, okay, okay. You deserve, like, you're, you're, you're probably the favorite child. Like, that's fine. You know what I'm saying? But, but, but the reality is, is like when there's a difference between how parents treat their children, you get the sense like one's a favorite and one's not a favorite. And, and, and then suddenly like there's this like some bubbling rivalry, like, man, I, I hate that you're the favorite. Or, or maybe you are the favorite and you're like, man, it's hard being the favorite kid. Or maybe you're not the favorite one. You're like, it's hard not being the favorite kid. But nonetheless, all in all, whether you're the golden child or the problem child or you're the middle child, whichever one you are on that end, favoritism, you'll notice, really eats away at family ties, right? It just eats away at family ties, whether you intend for it or not. Because whether it's real or perceived, it can break down the family ties within a family unit. 
And so tonight, what we're going to talk about is, uh, uh, is we're going to talk about why Christians are to avoid favoritism in the church. You see, because favoritism eats away at family ties, what it means for, for us as Christians, as, as a family, like, like if you don't know this, if it's your first time, or if you've never really considered what this community is to you, or what the Bible calls this community, th- this is a family, not like a family, similar to a family, like, like it is a family, okay? And, and, and when there's favoritism within the family of God, it eats away at the relational dynamics that Jesus intended for his people to share with one another. Well, how so? Because to have favorites, right, it means that you, have, you favor one thing over the other. And when you apply that to people, it means that you look at the people in this community, right? And you look at one person and say, I like you. And you look at another person and say, I really don't like you. So I'm gonna be around you, but ain't no way I'm hanging around you. And we don't think this is really a big deal because like culturally and even naturally, we, we, we are people who, who function based on preferences. It's, it's in everything that we do. It's in the, it's in our, it's, it's the iPhone versus Android. It's about preferences. It, it's, you know, um, anyone who says that, anyone who says that is probably Android lover. I'm just saying like, <laughs> they always got to be proud about it. Like I'm different. I love Android. You never, anyway, so, but it's embedded in our language, right? Like, like when someone says, what's your like favorite place to eat? What's your favorite this? Or, you know, read an article from a celebrity. What's like the top 10, 10 favorite things in your whole life? Or what's like the top five roles you've ever done? Or whatever it might be. Or it's like, what are your top five Taylor Swift songs? You're like, I can't choose. They're all my favorite. And, but favoritism says, I prefer this over that. And I will focus on this and not that. In fact, I will enjoy this because it benefits me the most and, and that doesn't, so I will ignore it. This is what favoritism is. Now, try and apply that to people. Try to apply it to people. Uh, anybody old enough to, uh, to have MySpace? Any, anybody, please? Please, okay, thank God. Okay, it's like, please. <laughs> there's, like, there's like no version of this. Like, anyway, so MySpace was a wild time, okay? Crazy and cringy and I honestly... I know the last picture that I had. It was me and a, it was me and a guitar because I thought that was really cool. Um, and I've never been on it back. Actually, I should probably go look it up. Anyway, so the, one of the crazy features about MySpace was this thing called uh, your 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 top eight. It was kind of like your T-Mobile's like Fave Five, but this is MySpace top eight. And it was drama, okay? It was always drama because here's the thing about your top eight. You would pick your top eight, right? And here's the thing. You could pick somebody and not be their top eight. Right, so I'd be like, I'd be like, hey, Obi, you're my, you're my top eight. He's like, that's cool, that's cool, but not be reciprocated. I'd be like, what? Right, and you're like, dang, that's messed up. That's cool, right? Like, cause you could be my best friend, but but you're not my best friend. You're like, what? I'm not your best friend, but you're not my best friend. Like, and and it would always be dramatic because like you would go to somebody's profile and you'd say, oh, these eight people really matter a lot to this person, but but the rest of the world doesn't matter. And if you don't aren't on theirs, you're like, dang, that's cold, right? That's messed up. Why? I thought we had something going. I thought we were really good friends. And it seems silly. It seems silly. But the thing is that we have our own version of, of, of our top eight in person in the church. Like we, we have our version of who's our favorite people and who are favorite groups and who are favorite this. 
And we let that dictate then how we express our love to one another in the church. And so we begin to determine who gets our attention and our affection and our care based simply on our preferences. So you, so, so you get mine because you're cool, but I will never give it to you because you're uncool. Or, or you look like you're a good Christian, but you don't look like a good Christian. And, and so ultimately what, you, what that happens is you begin to teach your heart that you will love people that look most like you or make you happy and everyone else goes to the wayside. You teach your heart that some people matter and some people don't. And James says in the passage tonight that we cannot have that in the church because it will, that, that sense of favoritism, that preferential love that we, that we love based on our own personal preferences, that it will kill the family of God because favoritism blocks certain people from experiencing the love of Jesus. A love, mind you, that is meant to be experienced by everyone in the community. There is no VIP section in the church, if you didn't know. We act like there is sometimes. And listen, this is not an easy passage for me to preach or even for me to read. Like, let's put this aside for a second. As I was preparing for this message, genuinely, I sat on my couch not just being convicted that maybe I don't love the way that Jesus loves, or maybe I do have a preferential love. Maybe I do only love certain people in a, in a certain way, or, or I'm only drawn to this kind of person, or, or maybe I'm more likely to talk to this person. Or, and I, maybe that, that was part of it. That was part of my, my, my wrestling through the message. But, but part of it was, was I, I just genuinely felt God say, listen, I've loved what I've done in this community and this community has, be, has begun and continued to reflect my love, but it's not there yet. Because part of my prayer for this ministry, part of my desire as, as a pastor here in this community and, and doing the work of the ministry alongside you guys is that one of my greatest desires is to see people of all ways of life in here. Okay, I, I, I wanna see it all. Like, like, I want to see the same people that follow Jesus begin to follow Jesus because they experience Jesus' love here. Like, like I'd, I'd love the young adult who's, who, who, who feels unworthy and dirty and disgusting because they had an abortion and they feel free and loved here because they experienced the love of Jesus. That there was an impartiality of love here. I, I would love for those who are, are questioning their sexual identity or those who are struggling with their sexual identity or gender identity and saying, listen, I want to follow Jesus. I don't really know how to follow Jesus because the, the word says contrary to this and I, I don't want to submit to my emotions or my sexual desires, but I'm wrestling through it. And then they come here and they're like, man, I want to follow Jesus with everything that I am because I experienced God's love through his people. Like, I, like I, I want people who have been verbally, sexually, emotionally abused and they come here and they experience healing because they experience the selfless love of a community founded and completed by the work of Jesus. Like, like, like you see what I'm saying here? That's what makes this text hard because, because it felt like I was saying like there's work to be done. And this is not as a judgment, but as an invitation. Like, like I'm excited for us to start practicing what James is gonna invite us into tonight because I think God wants to send broken people into this space, but he wants them to experience his healing love 
And he wants to know, he wants to know, will we be that community? Will this be that space? Will you be that person that lays your preferences aside so that people could experience the same love that transformed you? Will you be that person? And will we be that people? Will be, will we? All right, let's start. As we go through this text tonight, I wanna point out three, three things I'm gonna focus on. The three things when it comes to favoritism. The one, the problem with favoritism. Two, the danger of favoritism. And three, the alternative to favoritism. I'll say it again for you note takers. The problem with favoritism, the danger of favoritism, and the alternative to favoritism. So we'll begin the first one with the problem with favoritism. So James says right off the bat, he says this, and he, he, he holds no punches. He says, my brothers, show no partiality, which is another word for favoritism. So show no favoritism as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And so what he says right off the bat, he says, listen, if you say that you're a follower of Jesus, if you profess that you follow Jesus, if you say that he's transformed your life, if you're saying you, you follow after him and you're gonna obey his will and do what he says, you cannot proclaim that and then openly show favoritism. So right off the bat, that should like open our ears because what he's saying is there is something fundamentally wrong with favoritism that is so contradictory to the gospel that you can't do both. You can't say I'm a Christian and practice favoritism. And so what is favoritism? Well, that, that word it literally in the Greek means to receive something according to their face. And so what it's saying is, is that you make judgment calls or you judge someone based on external appearances. Anyone done that before? That's okay, I can say I have. And so what he's saying here is the Christian is not to make any judgment on any person based on any external appearances, any factors, whether it be their dress, their color of skin, or their general physical appearance. And so he, he gives this illustration. He says, for example, he's like, if this is not clear to you, let me, let me demify it for you. He goes, imagine there's these two people. And he describes these two people. He said, the, the first man is a rich man. He doesn't even say that he's a rich man. He says he's a man wearing gold, a gold ring and fine clothing. And so actually in the Greek, uh, it's not that he's wearing a gold ring. The, the image is that it's a, 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 a gold-fingered man. So we'll just call him Mr. Goldfingers. Okay, Mr. Goldfingers comes in. And you see Mr. Goldfingers with his clothes, shiny clothes. And, and, and this person goes to him and goes, oh, whoa, 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 hold on, hey, Come here, sit in the VIP section. Sit here close to me. You can sit over here in this nice spot. And then contrary, you see this other person who's called the poor person. And this poor person, it says here, is in shabby clothing, which means clothing that is filthy, probably because it's the only clothing they have. So it's gross and disgusting. And so you, you probably smell this person before you even see this person. You smell them, you look at them, you're like, oh, you can stay over there. And, it, and maybe you're feeling that nice and you actually you can just sit on the floor. But you give all your attention to the person who looks nice. And so the person here tries to sweet talk their way to being close to the rich person and casts aside the poor person. And then James finishes this verse in verse four. He, makes, he's, he asks this rhetorical question. 
Have you, if you do this, if you favor the rich and forego the poor, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? What would your answer be? Yes. Obviously, that's literally what you've done. You've said one person is important and one person is not. You've showed favoritism. You said this person gets this treatment and this person gets another treatment. See, the problem with favoritism is that fundamentally, it means that you choose to separate the church of God, the people of God into categories. You say, these people are important and these people are not, but this is a major issue. This is a major issue for the church because Jesus cares deeply that the family of God stay united. Like this isn't just James' preference. This is what Jesus would have taught during his earthly ministry. It's actually what all the New Testament authors were aiming at when they're talking about, about the, the family of God staying united. Uh, the apostle John, the, the one who would call himself the most loved by Jesus, he pens in his, his, his gospel account he says this in John 17. It is what people call Jesus' high priestly prayer. And the high priestly prayer is the prayer that Jesus prays for the church and for all centuries, for all time. So as long as the church is here, this is the prayer that Jesus prays. And in John 17, one, he says this, that, uh, that they may all be one just as you. So they, the church, may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so for Jesus, the unity of the body, the unity of God's family best displayed God to the world. And then we see other New Testament authors like Paul. He writes in his letter, in, in his letter to, the, to the Ephesians, he says this in chapter four, verses four through six. He says there, in talking about the people of God, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and in through all and in all. Did you catch how many ones? All to indicate that God's people are meant to just be one. And favoritism battles against God's desire of a united people. Jesus cares deeply that his people are united as one. And often we can talk generationally or culturally or experientially that division comes into the church from the outside in. But I'd argue that most of the division that we experience or if not most, a good portion of the division doesn't just come from the outside in, but comes from within inside the church. Because it can be easy for us in a culture to judge one another based on appearances and on preferences. And what James says to that is, if you judge people according to worldly categories, you judge with evil thoughts. Pretty scathing. Because the moment a person comes into the family of God, they're no longer considered what they were once. They're a new creation. They're a child of God. You leave that status behind, however good or however poor. If you were the cool kid in college, if you were the jock, if you, whatever that you were that you held in high esteem, the moment you become part of the family of God, that's not who you're considered anymore. God just sees you as a kid. If on the contrary, you're the one who was rejected, left alone and cast aside, 
But the moment you entered into God's kingdom, you became God's child. You're no longer identified by those categories anymore, but you're identified as a child of God. Amen? And so when we do favoritism, when we practice it, we go against the unity of God's people and we categorize people into what they once were and deny who they are now, which is God's child. And we size people up and determine their value. How does a person feel when you look at them and you're just thinking, will they enjoy me? Will they like me? Will they accept me? Here's the thing. There are people here who want to be loved for who they are and not what they have or how they look. And when I say there are people, I mean all of us because this is all of us. We all want to matter more. We all just want to matter. (laughs) Let's be honest. Not for what we have. Not for what we bring. For who we are. And so James' invitation to the church and to us is to love those who can do nothing for you because that's what the poor are for them. See, for James, the poor person is the one that you have to take care of. The poor person is the person you have to constantly look after. Like like they demand more from you than what you can give, or really they demand more from you than they could ever give back to you. And James says, it doesn't matter. We love people, not for our sake, but for the sake of the other. This is the love that Jesus taught. And so then he moves on from saying, here's the problem with favoritism. He says, but if you do practice it, here's the danger. It's just like a warning, the warning of favoritism or the danger of favoritism that's interchangeable here. He moves on to say, verse five, listen. So he's like saying, listen, you're doing this. So listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, I care for you. So I'm calling you my beloved this has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. So he says, listen, so before I even finish this, as you read this passage, you might be thinking it's just purely about poor people and rich people, that God loves the poor people and God hates the rich people. And that's not the case. He's just what hit the heart of the message for, or the heart of the text is that he just is that James wants us to look at people correctly, not according to their status or to what their resources are, but just as humans. And so, in this case, for James, the majority of the people in his community are poor people who are being punished by rich people. And he's saying, Listen, you poor people. And the funny thing is, is this he's saying, You poor people. We poor Jewish Christians who are in this poor community, we mistreat our own and then we go to the rich who are mistreating us and we treat them the way we should be treating the poor people. So he's not saying hate rich people. He's saying, why would you spend all your energy caring for the person who doesn't need it instead of the person who does? And he says, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be faith, to rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. If you were to pick a person between the rich and the poor, who would you pick? You don't have to answer that. 
If you were the world, who is the one that gets the most screen time? Is it the rich or the poor? Well, it's the rich, right? Like we're not comparing, like, like, like when we compare people often on screen time, it's, we don't compare like celebrities with ordinary people because we think ordinary people are beneath them. So we just compare celebrity to celebrity. And here he says, listen, God chose the people that the world would not choose. That he chose the people who, who the world would cast aside, who would say are not important. And so what we see here is that God's value system is very different than humanity's value system. That God actually loves people that we normally don't consider worth loving. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter one, Paul says this, talking about who God chooses for salvation. Says, for consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, but many were of noble birth. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. You hear this? God chose what is low and despised. Not what is high and celebrated. What is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing to bring to things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God does not judge according to human standards, but has his own divine measurement rhetoric of who gets his love and who gets his love. It's the people who are rejected and outcast. And you might be thinking, well, that's not fair. God is playing favorites. No, he's not. Because do you forget who you once were? See, sometimes we can be saved for quite a little bit of time. We're like, we're pretty good. God should have saved me. I'm a diamond in the rough, you know? Like, I'm good. But then we forget, man... God didn't save you because you were the most worthy. God didn't save you because you were the most talented. God didn't save you because you were the most lovable. God didn't love and save you because you were the most perfect. God saved you because you were the lowest of the low and he saw you in your need and he said, would you like to come to the kingdom of life? So that you could boast in nothing except in his love. So God's values are different from our own. We judge according to the outside, but God judges the heart. And when we choose favoritism and we express our love based on preferential values, what we begin to do is we say this love that God has given to this community, only some people can get it and some people can't. So God wants to express his love. He chooses differently than the world would choose. So he's chosen us as his holy community and his community of love. And, and, and then when we choose favoritism, we say, God, only some people deserve it and some people don't. You see how damaging that is? That some people deserve God's love and then some others don't. Is there any surprise then why people then become, feel unsafe 
in the church? Is there any surprise then that people feel unwelcomed in the church? And, 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 and we say it's because we, we don't, it's because we affirm or we don't affirm. It's, it, it isn't about affirmation or not affirmation. It's simply the question of, do we love people the way Jesus loved people? That is the standard. Do we love people the way that Jesus loved people? And the danger of favoritism is that we do not. If you choose to practice favoritism, we will not love the way Jesus loved. So what is the alternative? What is the way in which we can become people who love like Jesus loves? Read with me in verse eight. If you really fulfill the royal law, According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. So what James is saying, he's talking about this royal law. And the royal law, meaning royal, meaning a law that pertains to the kingdom. And so whose kingdom does the Christian people belong to? The kingdom of God. And so this is God's royal kingdom. And it's his royal law. And so he says the royal law, according to the scripture, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so you would assume as you read this that the greatest law among them all is to love your neighbor as yourself. But but James is doing something a little bit more uh, um, uh, delicate here. See, what what is the royal law? The royal law, he's said in multiple places. It's the implanted word. uh, It's the law of liberty. It's the perfect law. It's the law of love. He said it earlier in, in chapter one. And so if we remember last week when I I was talking about what is God's word, well, God's word to James at this point, because remember, they didn't have the whole uh, New Testament. They only had the Old Testament and the gospel narrative. That's all they had in their possession. And so for them, the Old Testament is all of God's commands filtered through the person of Jesus. So he's saying the law is all of God's commands through the lens of Jesus. And Jesus summarized the law of God in two Commands. And Luke, uh, wow, I didn't put it in there. I guess I trusted myself. Uh, in, <laughs> in the book of Matthew, uh, a Pharisee comes to Jesus and he says, uh, uh, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your mind, body, soul, and strength. That's the greatest command. But then he added a second one. He said, and similarly to this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That all the command, all the laws of the Old Testament uh, law and the prophets can be found in those two. Essentially, what is the law? Love God, love people. That's what he's saying. Love God and love people. And so when he says here, fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's not saying that this is the most important law. He's saying, you've already understood that loving God, you say you profess faith in Jesus. You say you're a follower of Jesus. You're saying, I follow Jesus. I love God more than anything. But to do that, you also have to love your neighbor as yourself. The love command stands at the center of New Testament ethics, which is every action that we do. So so James is saying, listen, you want to love like Jesus loves? You got to love your neighbor as yourself. So the question is, what kind of love is James talking about? And who are the neighbors? Well, think about it. Uh, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What do you want for yourself? You want the best? right? You want what's good for you. That's all you ever care about. It's all you want is my best. And so what he's saying is you love, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's understanding that all you want for the other person, for your neighbor is their best. 
Like whatever you want for yourself, you want for them. And so who's your neighbor? Well, it's not just a geographical question, isn't it? Who's the person who lives next to me? It's every human being made in God's image. And so who is made in God's image? Every human being. So who is your neighbor? Everybody's your neighbor. And so this love that James invites us into through God's word is saying, if you want to exhibit God's love towards humanity, you love like Jesus loves and you express it not to certain people, not to that person or only that person or that person that looks like you or who thinks like you, who talks like you. Who are... No, every person, whether they are like you or unlike you. Loving people isn't a preference. It's a command from God. And he even, he even ups the ante. Look what he says here. It's in verse nine. If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And then verse 11, he says, for he, meaning God, who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do not murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So he's saying the same God who, who made the law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is the same God who says, you shall, uh, you shall not murder and you shall not have adultery. It's the same God who made all three laws. And according to James, if you break one, you break them all. If you do one, you got to do them all. And so what he's saying is when if you don't love people, it's as bad as killing someone or committing adultery. Have you ever thought about loving someone that way? That if I fail to love you in the way that Jesus loves you, I'm committing a sin as grievous as murder and adultery. But to Jesus, it's one and the same. He's saying, James saying that when, that we, when we fail to love people like Jesus loves people, we commit spiritual violence towards one another because we treat them as less than someone that Jesus died for. And then he finishes like this at the very end, verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James finishes by asking his readers one question. Have you forgotten how you got into the kingdom? Do you remember how it was? It wasn't through your actions. It wasn't through your perfection. It wasn't through your amazingness. It wasn't through your nothingness. It was because of God's mercy. So when we choose favoritism, it's like standing at the entrance of the church. And God has invited them to come in for free. And we stand at the door and say, there's an entrance fee. That's what favoritism is like. That we would charge people more to be part of the family of God than Jesus requires. See, freely God gave his love so that freely we would give people his love to others. You see, what James has been driving out this whole time is that the alternative, the alternative to preferential love, to favoritism, is selfless love. One that is focused on the other and not yourself because it is only selfless love that allows people to experience the transformative mercy and grace of Jesus because it was Jesus that first practiced that with us. Jesus did not, we didn't give reason for Jesus to choose us. We gave him reason to be against us. 
We were once his enemy. We were once the ones who rejected his words. We didn't want to be children of God. We wanted to be children of wrath. We wanted to obey his law. We wanted to follow our own law. We didn't want God's kingdom. We wanted our own kingdom. We did everything possible, humanly possible, to say no to God. And in the midst of that, but God, being rich in mercy, extended his selfless, perfect, forgiving love towards you and to me. And that's how we got entry into God's kingdom. He did not withhold his love towards us based on preference. In fact, he had every reason to keep us out. He had every reason to keep his love to himself, but it was God's perfect, impartial, not favoritizing love that brought you and me into the kingdom. So why would we be any different with others? Why would we? We wouldn't. We wouldn't. So where do we go from here? Again, back to what I was saying earlier. That we would be an alternative community, a a community committed to the selfless love of Jesus, not just receiving it and practicing it, but giving it to others. That we would not just hold on to God's love, but that we would give it on to others. We were to love people like Jesus, even when those people can't give us anything in return so that we can draw people closer to Jesus, not for our influence, not so that we feel better about ourselves, not so that we can think we've done the right thing, but it's so that they can have an encounter with Jesus. That's why you love people. You want them to experience the same encounter that transformed you. And so you give it to others and transformation will happen through love because it happened that way in you. To mistaking adults, may we leave this space and may we be committed to rejecting preferential love. May we reject any love that is not of Jesus. May we only practice the perfect path of selfless love with Jesus. Let's pray. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards